full quiet. Good evening. Good evening. The world is on fire. That's what I hear. Yeah. Nothing much going on here. We're uh, we're self self. Is it self quarantining? Yeah, that's what I guess so. Um, my girl, my favorite girl, came home though. She came home from college, so Kyra's here. She'll be here for another couple of months while they finish out the semester remotely. Um, so I realized she had come. I thought didn't you take her back to the airport to go back? Yeah, yeah, and then like five days later, she came back. So. Well, she had to get her stuff. Like she, she wanted to get stuff out of her room, and her roommates had all uh, packed up and left. So yeah. So yeah, she's she's settling in and doing homework and all that kind of fun college stuff from home. Yeah, that's what uh, the, my boys are doing too. So yeah, and even uh, Jeff, who's a gymnastics coach, they're going to start like doing virtual lessons i guess where they're going to record them and send them out or maybe do it live i'm not sure but mm. just like strength stuff they can't really you can't coach a kid on the bars at home yeah but you know keep their strength up yeah speaking of jeff i i saw um on his his podcast with you the other day that uh he was he saying something like he wanted to go by super jeff or he wanted to have that as his new nickname so got a story about that there's this guy i knew back when I was working at a little consulting firm in Boulder and his name was Jeff Schwartz actually. And he went by super Jeff and like, he was like strangely insistent that everyone call him super Jeff. And, and this is like in a professional office environment, you know, and like, I'm not sure in a professional office environment, if I'd ask everyone to call me Cosmo, but he was like, I'm super Jeff and you need to call me super Jeff, which is good because I joined the company like a couple months after he did. And I was, I was just Jeff. And so uh, that avoided a lot of confusion. So he would, you know, all his emails, his email address, everything was super Jeff. And um, anyway, so it was, uh, it was just kind of funny. and reminded me of that when, when Jeff was talking about becoming super Jeff. So, so be careful about being super Jeff because there's already one out there. So is this a long time ago then? Because this is before you were self-employed. Yeah, this was between working at Raytheon and working for myself. So this was in right around 2000. Okay. I worked there for a year. Well, is Raytheon Hughes Aircraft? Because I thought you were working for Hughes. I did, and Raytheon bought it. So I, I didn't change jobs or anything, but I, the, the company changed ownership. Okay. How long did you work there? I was there for about five years total. Okay. Before I went to this other firm for a year, and then I started my own, my own thing. Cool. So be careful about calling yourself Super Jeff and making your email address right. Super Jeff and... Well, and then I was shoeless, Jeff. I don't know if you knew that. Um, all, all of the ultimate players in, in Boulder know me as shoeless Jeff, or they just call me shoeless. And so it's kind of funny because on the field, when you're running around, you, it takes more syllables to say shoeless than just to say Jeff, but everyone called me shoeless. No one ever called me Jeff. And now Cosmo. So I'm just a man of many. Monikers. Monikers. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> I thought Namen, a man of many Namen, but I was like, Namen. Feeling Namen. So uh, I'm not shocked at all that they called you Shoeless Jeff because I remember, golly, I don't right, know how. See. What? Whoa, there he goes. We've lost. Oh, for the love. <laughs> I Now I'm just gone. So I, I don't know, even know what to say. I just got to look at your soul. <laughs> Deep into my soul. Deep into your soul, into the cracks of your soul, the white pasty. All right. Um, yeah, I remember you showed up at my house maybe 20 years ago and no shoes. And I was like, what is going on here? Where, mm -hmm. Who is this guy? Who is this hippie in my house? Yeah, I think I stopped wearing shoes around the time I graduated from high school. That's when it sort of started. You're totally I, like that Boulder, yeah, Colorado well, IT guy. This was before Boulder. Like I went to, you know, when I was in college, I would, I would go to class barefoot. I would walk on campus barefoot. Um, there's no, another no. guy actually, there's another guy, his name was Joe. He was a physics major. I don't remember his last name, but he also would go shoeless. So in these physics classes, there weren't that many physics majors. So there's like nine of us uh, on campus and three of us in a class or whatever, but he would also be shoeless. And so it was shoeless Joe. From Hannibal Moe and shoeless jeff so yeah he was my inspiration so shoeless joe the i was in damn yankees my freshman year of college mm -hmm. and i was just a member of the chorus and it's about the yankees and the senators 
And so I was a baseball player and the main character is Shoeless Joe. There's this old guy who turns into a young guy and they call him Shoeless Joe, like kind of after Shoeless Joe Jackson. Right. He plays baseball barefoot and he's uh, Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. All right. Yeah. You know, so, I was yeah. Joe in uh, Our Town, my very first play. Um, I was Joe the paper boy and my line was morning doc want your paper yet and then i had like one other line which everyone knew your line because you only had one didn't you yes um by by 10 o'clock i gotta know all about canada was that it that's it 35 (laughs) years later (laughs) we'd all say it with you yeah it's pretty embarrassing the (laughs) because i played uh emily's little brother uh what was his name Emily's the main character in our town. And I was, because when I was a freshman in high school, um, I was probably going about four, six, 85 pounds. Yeah. Like you looked 12 or whatever. Yeah. Right. And that was kind of my curse. Well, wearing off as I get older, but I, I didn't get a role as an adult until my senior year of high school. Cause you just couldn't put me, you couldn't stick me on stage as an adult. Who are you senior year? What was your role? Well, let's see. We'll go through it. So freshman year, I was, I think it was, was it Charlie Webb? No, I don't know. I was Emily Webb's little brother. And I had that role. Oh, wait. So also in that play in our town, in the final act, I'm dead. I don't remember if you were dead or not. I I don't think I got to see it in the cemetery. Okay. And I think, curiously enough, if we look back at it, I I think they all, people were dying from like tuberculosis and virus viral oh really stuff. So, oh yeah if i remember right it's, boy it's been a while well like one of the nights of the play i think aaron was dead on stage with me too and i'm sitting there and i cannot breathe but the whole third act is just a bunch of dead people sitting there right um so that like your presence i guess it's like your presence is felt on stage so the audience is like there are the dead people so it's more impactful they can see you and so I'm sitting there for at least 30 minutes and I, I could not breathe. I couldn't breathe. Hmm. And, and so after the play, Aaron is like, what is going on? I'm like, I, I can't breathe. And I forgot my inhaler at home. Like I always have my inhaler on me, but of course I forget it the one night that I can't breathe. And so I was like, you got to get to the, got to get to the phone. Nobody had cell phones. <laughs> so you had to get to a pay phone or an office phone or something. And he called my mom. And he's like, what do I tell her? What? I'm like, tell her to get the white, the white inhaler. <laughs> and that was Alupent was the white inhaler. Okay. And so he, so that's so ever since uh, get the white inhaler is kind of like our, the Eagle has landed code within our, yes. within our group. Um, so yeah, he had to tell my mom to get the white inhaler and I probably had to wait another half hour for her to get up to the school before I could take it. Could yeah. I, yeah. Well, yeah, there were a lot, probably. A lot I mean, of at least it was a that. death scene. So. Yeah. So I was, yeah. <laughs> I don't think tuberculosis, isn't that a lung disease or a lung? Uh, yeah. Don't you fill up with fluid or something? I think so. That would be bad for me. So speaking of that also, we're getting off track, but so I read, uh, and I told you about this, but I read an article, you know, I was, I was quarantining like ahead of everybody, like a week ago, Monday. So I've, I've been um, self-quarantined for 11 days now where everybody, where most people are just starting to talk about it in the last two or three days, I think. Is that mm-hmm. fair? Yeah. Um, and um, because I went, you know, I, it's probably good that I got sick at this point because I had another virus of some sort that was causing me problems and it's a good thing I went in because that's when my doctor told me, get alone and do it now. Um, and I guess that was Monday the 9th. Is that right? So anyway, I read an article yesterday about a guy, I think it was in New York, but I'm not sure. But young, healthy father, entrepreneur, goes to the gym three times a week. And he said he got it. And he, he's and his, his response was, I'm going to be fine. But I could tell when I walk from one end of my apartment to the other, I can't breathe is what he said. And, you know, and so he, he was like, I'm going to be fine for this, but I can see why somebody with lung disease like asthma or emphysema or, um, oh, what's the, the other big one. Anyway, would be pneumonia. Pneumonia. That's not a disease though. That's a, you know, but, um, cystic fibrosis. That's what I was trying to think of where they would be in real 
big trouble with this thing. And so I'm glad my doctor was out ahead of that. Got me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So a lot of fortunate things for me. So what's your plan? You're just going to go, you're going to go back home in about a week, um, hopefully, and just hang out at home, right? You're going to sort of stay self quarantine there, but at least you're in your home. Yeah. Um, so I'm with my mother-in-law right now in the basement and Justin has was home from Spain. He's been back a week now. So today's day, kind of day eight, he came back. Um, he got back to the house like at midnight last Friday at the beginning of Saturday. Um, so another week here, and as long as he's not showing any symptoms, which he isn't yet, um, then I should be able to go back home. But I'm sure we'll be wiping everything down. I'll be working from home, I would imagine, for at least another month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us, I, I've been saying for over a week, I think by this coming Monday, the whole country will be in that, you know, in the same mode that Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York are in right now. And I, and I think St. Louis County was talking about doing that as of Monday, St. Louis County and city. Hmm like mandating quarantine. Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? Definitely. So, I mean, my thought is this is the big test of, of our country, who we actually are, not who we've acted like for the last 20 years. Um, yeah, that's, I really think this is a big test. And I, you already see businesses starting to manufacture, you know, they're switching their manufacturing to, to, uh, um, I don't know, what's the word, retooling current ventilators or making new ones mm-hmm. and yeah. making masks and everything. Everybody wants specific answers and numbers and timelines, but it's like, well, they're working on it. They're working fast and it'll happen fast, but it's tough to get yeah. a date right now. But it's pretty cool to see how when uh, people, countries, companies are motivated, how much we can really accomplish. And it makes you think, man, there's so many other good things we could do. Like once this is passed, why don't we put our efforts towards some other things like we're putting our effort towards this and we can really see some impact on, I mean, whether it's, it's poverty or hunger or, I mean, just so many things that are, that are struggles in the world today that um, if we really, really thought about it and put some effort into it, we could make sweeping changes. So I hope that, I hope that we learn something from this whole experience and we can do something good with it. I have that same hope, you know, you could even talk about infrastructure and how we're so weak mm-hmm. on that right now. But yeah, I have that same hope, same as you. It's, um, it's going to be a difficult, it might be a difficult year and a half from the sounds of it, you know, yeah. of, of quarantining, going back out, then coming back in and going back out. Just, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. But I think Derek okay. had a good point that he said, you know, it's good to see that Korea and South Korea and Japan are kind of emerging after a month, a month and a half. And that's kind of hopeful too. Yeah, that Derek, he is such a smart guy. Why is it always about Derek? It's always about Derek. Hmm. So yeah. speaking of all the serious stuff, we should now tell some sort of a funny story. Yeah, like, please, Lord. Um, go ahead. Oh, I, no, you you're, go. You, you were in the middle of, you were, you were saying we were getting off track, and I didn't know we had a track to begin with. So I'm not sure what track I'm trying to be on. But you were talking about um, all the different roles you had, I think, in, in, in drama. So you were in The Good Doctor. Okay, yes. Yeah, so... Freshman year, I was uh, Emily's little brother, had one line, but I was on stage the entire third act, clearly, wheezing. Dying. Uh, dying, dying while dead, uh, kind of like a zombie. And then, so sophomore year, we did Flowers for Algernon, which mm. is about a, uh, uh, I don't know the proper term, mentally disabled adult. Um, and I was, the, his name is Charlie. And I was Charlie as a child. They'd have flat, they had like two or three flashbacks. Oh. And my mom would just, her, what was her name? Megan something. She, she would wail on him. I mean, it's like, I'd be, I'm reading, um, that was like, see Jack, see Jack run, see Jack see. And she'd be like, no, Charlie, no, you're stupid, stupid. And then like, wham. And like, ah, so like I had two or three lines like that. Dang. Because I could only play children. And junior year, I don't remember what we did that year. Well, I'll tell you this. I didn't even get, I mean, after my big role as Joe, the paper boy in our town, uh, Mr. Natal Cedar didn't cast me in anything the rest of the time I was there. Um, I must've done such a poor job as the paper boy. And he was like, nope, can't have this guy again. Um, In fact, you and I, I remember we tried out for something together and you got it and I didn't, but, uh, I took drama from him and got 
a B. Oh, that's why you were the uh, salutatorian. That's why I ended up salutatorian. <laughs> Freaking Kurt Nadelseeder in my drama class. So luckily my career really took off when uh, Mr. Getz showed up and yeah. gave, me, gave me a chance. So, junior year, what was it? So I, I was, we were in 10 Little Indians, right? That, that was, was senior year. Senior year. Yeah. Good Doctor and 10 Little Indians was a senior year. We were in both of those. You had like yeah. the role in 10 Little Indians. Yeah, which reminds me, I was, so I was the killer, for those of you who don't remember my, my big role there. I was the killer. I was a judge, and I had this, and I was insane, right? And so at the end of the play, I had this wig made out of yarn on my head. It was white yarn that was just like, anyway, you know, like the British judges do. And I come through the door in my big entrance at the end when you finally find out, oh, he's, the, he's the killer. Sorry if you haven't read the play. Um, but then a little piece of yarn got caught on the doorknob. And so I'm walking across stage with this yarn trailing, slowly pulling out of the wig on my head. And, uh, and then there was this big climactic fight scene where I tried to kill the, oh, yeah. the, the heroine, who is Amy Puleo. And uh, Dave Carit was playing her boyfriend or whatever to save to save her, and so I uh, I pick up a glass a, a glass bottle to smash over Dave's head. Except one night, and it was it wasn't real glass. It was that. It was a glass. It's glass. supposed to shatter like when you break right. it because glasses don't shatter like that when you break them. Right. Yeah. And so it's made out of I don't know some sort of a sugar or something like that. So I pick <laughs> it up, and it shatters in my hand before I can even hit Dave with it. And I'm holding kind of like the bottom of this glass, going, "Well, what do I do with this now?" So I, <laughs> so I slam it on his head and kind of like try to drive it in to his skull. Um, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'm sure my my facial expression was awesome. Oh, and the other thing I did was there were Indians on the mantelpiece. There were little Indians, and, and every time someone died, an Indian would disappear. And there was a time, and, oh, yeah. and I would reach around at one point from behind the door. You couldn't see who it was. You just saw this arm, mysterious arm, reaching out and grabbing an Indian and taking away. But I reached around, and I couldn't find it because it was set too far away. And so <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of pawing over there on this mantle. And so everyone in the audience is seeing this arm kind of flailing over there, trying to find the Indian. And I couldn't expose who I was because that would give it away too soon. And I don't remember how I ended up finally getting it. Maybe I'm just like getting contortionist moves or something. But those are the three things I remember as being uh, little little uh, errors on stage. That's hilarious. Let's not even talk about the fact that I had a British accent the entire play. And looking back, I can't imagine how bad that must have been. Oh, no. You had a, you have a good British accent. Did I? Well. Yeah. <laughs> no, so anyway. I was, um, I don't I, I recall being in that play, but not having a big role. Mm -hmm. which I'd kind of been used to. And then um, in, and in The Good Doctor, I, I played a drunken sailor. The Good Doctor is like a yes. collection of like 10 different 10-minute scenes or whatever. And you had that fake beard painted yeah. on, right? I, I took, you take the cork, you burn the cork, and you, you splatter it all around. Or it might have been black makeup, I don't know. So my mom told me when you she did, went you to- You blackface, as I recall. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that never gets out. I, yeah, I- by the way, that whole thing, I get it because I don't think I ever thought that was okay. I don't remember ever thinking yeah, don't that know. that was an okay thing to do. Um, so I remember my mom, my mom came to see the play and she came, we came home. She's like, I was there and I'm watching and, and a guy comes out and he's a sailor and he's got that little beard. I'm like, oh, that, that's a nice looking little guy. And then about halfway through, I realized it was you. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> that beard really disguised you, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what happened junior year. I, I, there, there must have been a year there, either freshman or junior, where we're, we just weren't in any plays. Um, but so here's so with Kurt Nadelseeder, there are two, I have two stories there. I remember when we were in our town rehearsals, um, and and we were rehearsing that whole third act. So I would sit there in rehearsal with my ADD oh, for a three-hour rehearsal, yes. just sitting there. Because I, I didn't have one line. Nothing ever happened. I think the entire thing that happened in that act was maybe a spotlight shone on me at one point while they were talking about little, little Buddy Webb or whatever my name was that died of tuberculosis. So I'll bet it was multiple rehearsals where I was just sitting there for three hours doing nothing. And, and you got to wonder why, you know. Mm -hmm. um, maybe so I could practice sitting there because I had a problem yeah. with that. So I was just cutting up and I would not stop. And and Nate and Nadal Cedar just just stops and says, Dirk, 
after practice. And I'm like, oh, man. Busted. So, so he pulled me into a room and actually said to me, actually told me that he thought I had a lot of potential and, and really, you know, it was really difficult. He was just honest. He's like, it's really difficult to find roles right now. Um, and I don't know if he told me it's because of my size or whatever, but it was a pretty honest, straightforward conversation, but also a positive one. So he actually, he actually really handled it really well for the situation. He didn't like go off on me, but he was, you know, I'm sure he's about to put his head through a wall when I wouldn't just stop. Mm-hmm. But then, so he was there through our junior year and he left and then uh, Getz came in. Well, so the, the pretty solid rumor was that, that NATO Seaver is going to do, um, what is the Woody Allen play? Played against Sam. And that he was looking at me to be the lead in that because, mm-hmm. you know, I get, I could pull off like a Woody Allen type of lead, you know? Sure. Yeah. The, uh, the moping, insipid, kind of, kind of funny, but kind of pitiful guy. Yeah, I could have pulled that off, but then he left and I never, I never had a lead role in high school. But I, I did. my baseball story. I mean, that could have been the launch of a huge career in acting. Well, well except I actually went further than that. Well, that's true. Yeah. So tell me about that. Okay. So, um, freshman year, oh, this is perfect. So freshman year of college. So I became a theater major and got an acting scholarship, which is very small. It wasn't much. And I think I was like third alternate because the other people didn't come or something. <laughs> you know, right? Third well, alternate. All these people dropped out. You're the last guy on the list. So exactly. here's 200 bucks. It's exactly what happened. It was 200 bucks a semester. <laughs> and, which was, you know, probably enough to feed me for two or three months at that point of the economy in my life. Um, so the, uh, my first role was in Damn Yankees, the musical. My second role was in Merry Wives of Windsor, where I played a child. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a 18, 19 year old child, my freshman year of college in a Shakespeare play. Then uh, the summer after that, I played the uh, sergeant in, oh, I can't remember the, I basically play, I played him like uh, Sergeant Major in that Monty Python skit. Sergeant Major marching up and down the square. And anyway. And then, then my biggest role was right after that, uh, we brought in a new director of our theater department, Lee Orchard, and he cast me as the nerd in The Nerd. Like um, Steve Martin nerd? Was it- no, no, that's the jerk. Oh, right. Yeah, no, this is a play called The Nerd, um, written by a guy that my mom went to high school with. What's his uh, name? I can't remember. He wrote The Foreigner, too. Um, but I can't remember his name. But yeah, so I played the nerd in that, and it was Urkel. It was just Urkel. He did this. That's what he wanted, and that's what I did, and I was pretty good at it. And then after that, I was, uh, I didn't get cast into the woods, and then I, uh, what did I do? Junior year, I was, I played Festy in Twelfth Night. It was a singing clown. And then my senior year, I started up a drama group at Campus Christian Fellowship, so I really devoted all my time to doing that. So do you feel like you were being typecast? Like, if you had gone on to an acting career, would you always have been like the goofy sidekick or? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, there's a stigma about that. But the reality is that if you want to be an actor and you can make a living doing that, then go get it. Yeah. And don't, don't sweat it. But if you, you know, if you happen to fall into to a role where you make a gazillion dollars, and then you can be picky about it, then, you know, go ahead. But, you know, like, um, I mean, I know people that went to professional acting and, and I did it for one summer. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I, I was in the King and I one summer. And of course I, when I was 20 and of course I played Prince Chulu Longcore and the son of uh, the King of Siam. So I was uh, playing a 12 year old and when I was 20. You no, know, I saw the other day that in Napoleon Dynamite, uh, John Heater playing Napoleon, a high schooler, he was like 25. And the guy playing Pedro was like, he's 31 years old or something like that. Was he really? He was playing like these, you know, yeah. So yeah, you, you're older, but you got to play younger people. That's an important role. They were both pretty convincing as uh, teenagers. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Especially Pedro, 31? Something like that, yeah. He, he did with that mustache he had, he did not look more than 16. <laughs> it was the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's my entire acting career. Okay. Um, 
and when I did that professional theater that one summer, that was when I decided I didn't want to do it for a living because it was just, it was, um, the rest of the cast were really, they would just travel from place to place every six to 12 months, going to cattle call auditions and taking whatever job came. And they were kind of, uh, I don't mean it negatively, but they were living kind of like a gypsy lifestyle where they just, mm-hmm. you know, just traveling. And, and I had, I really wanted a family and realized I probably couldn't put those two things together. I would have had to, the, the, the rule is really that you got to give acting or a, you know, uh, acting, singing, modeling. If you're going to really give those careers a go, you have to give it 10 years and be willing to sacrifice 10 years of your life to make it. And that's who the the one person that I went to college with that did make it. It was it was almost exactly ten years after she graduated. That, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, yeah. I showed up to uh, to college, and I remember my first semester, the theater department contacted me and said, "We heard you've you've done some acting in high school." I mean, I don't know how they heard. Um, maybe it was on my resume or something like that. You know, when you apply to to college, things that you've done. And so they invited me to to try out for whatever the play was. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I enjoyed acting, but mostly I enjoyed acting because of my friends who were in acting with me, right? Like I loved being with you and with Aaron and Matt and and we had a good time together. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll think about it. But of course they had, as you need to, they had practices every night and it was, you know, two, three hour commitment every night. And here I am a freshman trying to figure out and navigate my way through this whole new experience of college when I actually have to do homework and in high school, I never did homework and things like that. And so I was, I was like, ah, I, I think I'm going to pass on this. So again, there's a turning point in my life when I gave up my acting career that could have started at, you know, an engineering school, I'm sure, which is where all the good actors tend right. to gravitate. Raw so. putting on those big plays. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's those turning points are really interesting to look at through your life where it's where you realize that, Hey, you really like this thing, but it wasn't for the thing itself. Like I really like playing board games, but with you guys, I, I'm not a, I don't want to go to a convention and sit there and listen yeah. to somebody tell me rules about a board game for 15 minutes. And I, I just, I do it for the uh, fellowship of it more than the, the gaming. Right. And, and I'd rather just get on there and play around with it and, and have some fun and try to be competitive, but I don't, if I win, I win. If I don't, I don't. And it's fun either way. I, I have and to, you generally don't. So yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <It> works out. <laughs> and I get to troll you a little bit while I, we're going through uh, Dominion cards or whatever. I'm the same way. I feel like things like bowling are the same way, right? Like bowling yeah. is, is just a ridiculous game, but you, you go with the right people and it's, it can be a blast, right? Yeah. And in skiing, I'm, I'm this mediocre skier. I have no ambitions to be a great skier. Um, I, I'm comfortable with where I am, but I go because of the social experience. I go because I'm hanging out with people I enjoy being with. And and if we happen to be riding up the lift and talking together and then ski down real quick and then hang out in the lodge for a long lunch or whatever, that's kind of that's kind of my my enjoyment of that activity, you know? Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I remember going to college there were six of us in high school and two, two of us went to Kirksville, two of us went to Mizzou and two of us went to Rolla and Mizzou's like the big party town. And Rolla is more as a party, kind of a party town too, if you really want it to be, which well, Steve, St. Pat's it is. Yes. Steve did okay with the parties <laughs> yeah. and Kirksville just is, doesn't have that reputation. And people were like, what do you, you know, Kirksville's too boring. And I'm like, well, I, I'm, I'll have friends. I, if you have people you care about, I mean, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think anything's really boring. You can, you know. So how'd that go that first year rooming with Matt? So, all right, we're into this. Okay, so our friend Matt, um, who's probably the, we are probably the two most opposite people within our friend group, I would say. Um, And at the time, especially the, the things we believed and the way we lived, I think we're pretty darn opposite. So, yeah, yeah, I was very much a a fundamentalist, evangelical Christian guy interested in theater. And he was very much a free thinking, uh, freewheeling. I don't know. uh, Hippie. I I don't know if we call him a hippie at the time because he kept his hair short. So I have a couple stories from that. So he. um, So we were roommates our freshman year. And I remember. We had a teacher, Mrs. Baker, who one time she tried to help me. She did. She said, you know, um, a lot of times you and Matt are going to live together. I'm like, yeah. She's like, you know, a lot of times uh, maybe it's it's better just to, to go with uh, somebody you don't know. <laughs> somebody that, you know, because uh, maybe, maybe things don't quite mesh with you and, and a friend and you can become 
you know, then you're not friends at the end of it. And it's because she, you know, she, she's an adult. She could see what was pending. You're saying she saw the two trains heading toward each other. Yeah, pretty much. It's just going to be a wreck. Yeah. And I think the thing is that um, she could probably see that I was going to be more closed off to him than he was to me. Cause Matt was pretty accepting of just about anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas I had a pretty specific idea for how I would live. And um, I'm not super neat, but I'm also not Matt. So, so the entire freshman year consisted of um, a clear delineating line down the middle of our room where I would take the clothes or whatever else was on the floor and make sure that they were apportioned to the proper side of the room because my clothes were in a laundry basket. His were pretty much everywhere. Um, And I wouldn't say we didn't get along we just were so opposite just so opposite and yet such good friends at the time mm-hmm. but i remember him coming home from soccer practice in the middle of you know 95 degree heat and he had a date or was going to a party or something so his preparation from soccer to the party was to change into a different set of soccer shorts and t-shirt and bowling shoes yep, which bowling is a different shoes. story because matt's about right <laughs> matt's Matt's constant supply of shoes was uh, shoes that he wore out of the bowling alley. That's how he, that's how Matt got new shoes. Um, and he took his deodorant, slapped it in his pits. One, two, put some down his pants, put some down his pants and (laughs) went to the party. (laughs) And I'm just like, that is disgusting. So it was a year that, you know, and, and yeah, we ended up not being super close, but we, through the rest of college, but we still, we ended up living in apartments for the, for our last two year junior, senior year that were, I mean, I could have hit a golf ball at his apartment right down the street, but they called his apartment, the borough. So he lived there with Rob and this other guy, they had started the borough freshman year in the dorms and they call it, <laughs> this is just amazing. They called it the borough because that's where all the beaver went. <laughs> which is wrong on any number of fronts <laughs> yeah because they should have called it the dam um or what would a beaver's lodge be was it a lodge maybe it's a lodge yeah they but calling it the lodge. lodge doesn't sound as mysterious it really doesn't so he lived in the borough where they just always had parties and you know and that was his thing not my thing but yeah so i, I think as i grew older i, I know as i've grown older i've, I've grown more accepting of stuff, but I still don't think we're good roommates. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't want to move in with him right now? I mean, because that was an option, right? With with the coronavirus, it was your mother-in-law or Matt's place. Yeah, that was somewhere down the list. <laughs> somewhere down the list. So, yeah. My, my own story, uh, you know, so Betch and I are the two that went to to Rolla, and uh, and he he pledged Teak, the fraternity, and, uh, you know, invited me to to pledge as well. And I was like, well, you know, I, I'm not sure that's really the lifestyle for me, but I went to a couple of events and, and, uh, heard some stories from him that made it very clear. I should not have ever pledged. And so that was, that was fine. But, um, remember he, you know, I felt all cool because here I am this freshman and, and I have this in because he could get me into the parties that were cool. And, uh, you know, I was cool in high school and we went to all the, all the lit parties, Big of time. course. Um, and I remember I, I hated the taste of beer, just hated it. I hadn't really had beer until I went to college. And and so you walk around, they give you this cup when you come in. And I think Betch, to his credit, he's like, I'll get you a free beer, you know, which which was a big deal. And so I had this big old cup full of beer, which I hated. And I'm walking around. And if you and if you drink it, they'll give you more. They just like kind of walk around and fill these things up. And I'm like, I hate this stuff. So I'd I'd walk around with this cup full of beer and I'd like kind of tip it up like I was drinking it, but I wouldn't actually put any in my mouth. I would just let it kind of touch my lips for a minute and then I'd put it down. So I always had a full cup and I didn't have to have people trying to give me more. And, uh, and that was the night I think I saw all these people, like there were sort of like this big party dance room and people are like thrown up and, and the, the floor is slippery with vomit and it smells of vomit. And I'm like, this is just not the life for me, you know? And Betch had a great time being a part of Teak, but, uh, but it was clear that that was not the direction I was going to go. So he and I didn't actually see a whole lot of each other during college, but, um, but we were, you know, we were on campus together and he, uh, he did his thing. I did my thing and it was cool. 
So were you actually excited to pledge Teak? Like you thought it might be, you thought it would be the thing you wanted to do? No, I was doing it more like, let me learn more about this and see if it's for me. And then he, he told, he tells stories. We should invite him on as a guest. He can yeah. tell some stories. He tells stories like uh, part of the whole pledging and we can't say the hazing word that starts with an H that rhymes with hazing. <laughs> Cause hazing doesn't happen in fraternities. Right. Um, but uh, like all the freshmen are the, what do they call the, the new ones? The, there's a word for the new pledges anyway. Like when they were doing homework, they'd lock them in this room to do homework and they'd play Tom's Diner, that song. Okay. If you remember that song, that's the one that was like, You can have Anyway, that one. And they played at like super high volume nonstop for hours while they're trying to do homework. And I'm like, this sounds like a medieval torture device, but if that's what you have to go through. So he has stories like that about the things that they do to the new pledges. And I'm like, no. No, thanks. And wasn't there at Rala like this, a big pool of vomit and whatever that they would jump into and stuff? So that's a whole different story. Yeah. So that's, uh, so St. Patrick's Day was last week, right? And I, I wore my green. So St. Patrick's Day at Rala is just, it's a very special time. <laughs> and uh, I think my kids have all heard these stories by now, even though uh, Pepper was not uh, excited about me telling them. Pepper's sitting right over here listening to me, so. No way. Uh, so anyway, uh, so it, uh, during St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick is the patron saint of engineers. And as an engineering school, it was a big deal. So we got like three days off school for St. Pat's Day. It was like the biggest part of the year. They'd paint the streets green in town. They had parades. I mean, it was like a big to do. And so you'd wear a sweatshirt. You'd, you'd, you'd wear your green, it was called. It was just a sweatshirt. And every year they had a different sweatshirt. And so um, I pulled mine out last week and, and wore it around with great pride. Um, but back to what you were talking about. So there's this, there's this thing, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes in with St. Pat's, but this particular thing, uh, is, is called Alice and Alice is this big, it's like an inflatable pool. Uh, one of those pools you sit on the ground, it's, it's got enough room for like two people laying down in it. And during St. Pat's week, when all the parties are happening, all the fraternities, they would gather together. I don't know whose job this was, but gather together all the vomit and all this stuff in, they'd have like barrels uh, at the different attorneys that people would, you know, if you have to throw up and you, know, you need to throw up in that barrel because we're saving that for later. <laughs> and then they would gather it all together and they'd fill this pool uh, with, with vomit and beer and who knows what else. It was, it was something. And so then on the weekend, I don't remember what day, like the Saturday of the week or whatever, um, they'd put this out on the football field and, and the stadium was not, this is not like Mizzou stadium. Like they can see, probably a thousand people, right? It's not a huge stadium. But I remember going there year after year because you'd go and you'd watch these things and, and you could be up in the stands, you know, hundreds of feet away and you could smell this thing. Um, so it was, it was potent. But they had this little fenced off area and, and this pool was in the area. And uh, all the people who had been chosen to be Knights of St. Patrick would be, would, would gather in this area. And then the St. Pat's board, which is a bunch of like football player looking fraternity guys um, would uh, they'd call your name and they chase you around. I know this because I was a knight my senior year and it was supposed to be this big honor, right? Like to be named a knight of St. Patrick was a big deal. Um, except what happens is you go to this fenced off area, they call your name over to loudspeakers and like 15 giant football player guys chase you around. And the longer you run, the more they hurt you at the end. So you don't want to run too long because they dogpile you. And these are big guys and people would break bones. What stuff the? Like that. Yeah. And so, and so they chase me around. I, I let them chase me for a little bit. And then they grab me and they put me on the ground. And they dogpile on me. And then they bodily lift me up and carry me over. And, and I say me, but it's everybody who's a knight gets a turn at this. And they go and they carry you over. And then you, you kiss the foot of St. Patrick, who is... Oh, my God. I know it's coming. Yes. And then they throw you oh. into this pool. And, uh, and this is the high, the high honor of St. Patrick. So, so you were I mean, thrown into the thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had my turn at Alice. That was, it was called Alice. The rumor is it was Alice was the name of, like, the former girlfriend of the guy who invented this thing oh. 15 years ago or something like that. Did you, like, immediately vomit? I mean, what, what in the... 
I now can't. You just kind of hold your breath. And oh, did you go home and best. shower immediately? Well, you, yeah. had to, you don't have to hang out like for an hours afterward no. at a party or something. No, you 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 kind of do your walk of shame across campus, smelling like vomit. I guess. Golly, that's horrific. <laughs> and you wonder how this kind of stuff comes about, right? Who made this up? Oh. I'm pretty sure Betch was a knight as well. Probably his his senior year. They can't, they can't still be doing that, can they? Well, they changed it the year after me. I was the last one that uh, <laughs> partook of that. The next year, because too many people were getting hurt. I mean, it was yeah. like breaking bones. There were alcohol-related deaths on campus related to St. Pat's. Um, and so the university really had to clamp down. And so in later years, it wasn't vomit anymore. It was like water that had been tinted green and they mixed a bunch of flour in. And so it had sort of this consistency of slime, slime. And so it was different. Um, and they, and they didn't chase you around. I think they would like let you step into the pool yourself. I mean, it was like super watered down from the old heady days of, of Alice. It was nuts. That sounds miserable. I, I do not. a good story to tell your kids. Though. I guess, man. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so you <laughs> said, you said that I came to Rolla one time and I don't remember doing that. You totally came one time. You slept on my couch. That was my senior year because that was the year I had kind of a suite. I had two rooms and I had a couch and TV and my desk in one and then like my bed and my closet and all that in the other. And I, I absolutely know that you slept on the couch. You came down and I'm sure we saw Betch at some point and yeah, it was just for a weekend. Were you there for four years or did you go longer? I was five years. I, I kept changing my major. So after changing my major five times, it took me a little bit longer to get through. Okay. So I graduated in four years. So that would, if it was your senior year, then I would have been already. You'd have been graduated. I would have been youth ministering at the time. Okay. I, I have no recollection of that at all. Did we do anything interesting or did I just come hang out for a couple of days? I think you just hung out for a couple of days. I mean, yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, you came to your place. Yeah, you came to Kirksville. So I don't remember what that was for. It was, but whatever. So you came up to Kirksville. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have, I had roommates, um, Jason and Rich and Ted. And Ted was my, uh, my evangelical Christian roommate. And Rich and uh, Jason were not, whatever. We're all friends. And um, so, and, this wasn't, we weren't like a bunch of partiers, I mean, in general, but for some reason, the, the night that you came um, was the night that Rich and Jason decided to go out and get plastered beyond imagination, which they never did. Um, so I was in bed, and I don't remember if I heard it or not, but you were sleeping on the couch downstairs, and they, they rolled in at, I don't know, two or three in the morning, and decided that they should start ottering down the stairs. And for the uh, uninformed in the group, the ottering is um, you lay on your belly and just go headfirst down the stairs. <laughs> like, so you're ottering, you're sliding down the stairs. And so I remember in the morning, you told me that all you would hear over and over was, and I, I don't I don't remember what that was for. You brought a video camera, didn't you? Like you were videoing things? Uh, maybe. Seems familiar. That was just a, it was just a very special night. But that those are the only times we really came to each other's campuses while we were in college, yeah. which is it feels like we should have done that a lot more, but we didn't. Speaking of video cameras, I, I was given the opportunity, I don't know, probably my my senior year, my first senior year, to make a promotional video for the university. This was a video that was shown to other universities and and uh, to prospective students and things like that. And, and they, they gave us a video camera, me and my friend Chancellor. And uh, we were supposed to like put together, you know, footage of students in the campus and things like that. And then we'd, we'd add music and narration to it. So we went around and we filmed all this stuff. And so we, at one point we went to, uh, to the administration building, which is called Parker Hall. And uh, they have a statue there uh, of this big kind of pot-bellied guy named Albert Lumen. And I don't know who he was, somebody famous from the past. And so it's like this big bronze statue of this guy sitting in sort of an alcove and, you know, lit nicely and stuff like that. And so we made up this whole story about how <laughs> before 
before before big tests, students would often come to the administration and they'd rub uh, the belly of this statue for good luck. And we made this into like this, you know, this campus tradition that people would rub the belly for good luck. And we, we managed to get that out of this promotional video, which then got sent to all these other schools about rubbing the belly of a statue for good luck on tests. And so that, that totally was, wasn't true? No, we totally made that up, but it was just awesome. It didn't start a new tradition or anything, did it? Like people coming in? I mean, you could go there now. I mean, here we are 30 years later, maybe his belly has sort of that, like that nice sheen to it when you rub a statue a lot. Who knows? So we had a statue of Joseph Baldwin in the middle of the of uh, the mall at in Kirksville. And you went to Bald Joseph Baldwin Academy, right? The Baldwin Academy, indeed. Yeah. They still invite kids that, like, I think they invited about 70% of my boys' eighth grade class to the Baldwin Academy. They must not get a lot of takers, yeah. Um, so one of the dumbest things that I ever did in college, we had um, – it wasn't dumb when we did it this way. We, we, would, we would make dry ice bombs, which consists of you take an empty two-liter, you put uh, maybe a tablespoon of dry ice in the bottom of it, you put maybe a couple of cups of water, you put the lid on and you run away and the thing explodes. Um, and we would put, so we did it, we would do it out in the country, like put a giant paint bucket on top of it, you know, like a, a paint bucket you'd sit on mm-hmm. and it would launch the paint bucket like 50 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's how explosive this thing was. So we, God, what a bunch of idiots. This is a bunch of campus Christian fellowship leaders, right? <laughs> leaders of campus Christian fellowship. We're like, man, let's get a dry ice bomb and let's put it between Joseph Baldwin's legs and explode it. Oh yeah, this is a great idea. So there were, I think there were eight or 10 of us and we decided we were going to go because, because you got to prepare this thing and then get the heck out. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and the statue is, is like there, but it's next to a, an old historical building. I don't know exactly what it was, but it's, it's within 30 feet of a building and then everything, it's pretty much open after that. So the 10 of us are there and we've got it worked out. We're going to set it and then we're going to walk off in twos, two people that way, two people this way, whatever. And I was walking off with Carmen who had a crush on at the time. So we put the ice in, we put the water in, we put the cap on and we all kind of just, we didn't run because we wanted to make sure we know we're being very careful that no one's approaching the statue. So we're going to cover all the entrances, right? Safety first, kids. Yeah, exactly. And it was the middle of the night. It was it was late, so we nobody was there. But we're you know we're making sure. So we walk off and probably get twenty to thirty feet away, and the sound of the explosion, it sounded like somebody had it, like a bomb. It sounded like a bomb, which it was. Mm-hmm. And we just we, I, I I looked at Carmen. She looked at me. We just said, I'm sure it's had fear. You know, these are the. Uh, super conservative Christian leaders of Campus Christian Fellowship. We mm-hmm. bolted for our lives. Uh, and I'm sure there were fingerprints there if they really wanted to find out, but they actually, there was an article in the school paper the next week that said someone had set off a chemical bomb under the Joseph Baldwin statue. And we were like, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I guess that's what we did. Technically speaking. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so I had an experience with those as well. We had a kind of a, uh, a whole series of, dry ice bomb incidents on campus and the ATF came out yeah. to investigate because it was, it, maybe it was like a whole thing on college campuses at the time, but there were a lot of them. And I, I was a, I was a senior resident assistant at the time and, and we were trying to find who was doing it. And so there was one incident where um, we, we, we thought there was someone like planting one outside and this is you know one in the morning or whatever and i ran out i remember running out to try to catch this person feeling like i'm all atf you know <laughs> or whatever and the thing blew up as i was running toward i was probably 20 feet away when it blew and of course it throws you know shards of two liter plastic bottle everywhere yeah and uh anyway yeah those things are massive and uh and they're not to be trifled with but in college it sure seemed cool yeah, the stupid things you do, man. We checked. Uh, so we had a party my freshman year. I lived on the 11th story, which was awesome for a, a lot of reasons. And so we had a party one one week where we had watermelon and movie night, like on a Wednesday night. And so we had big posters on the wall. Don't forget watermelon and movie night on Wednesday. We're going to be watching whatever, Terminator 2. 
And so we had this party and we had a bunch of watermelon we bought and everyone had had their fill of watermelon. We had all these watermelons left over. We're like, well, shoot, what do we do with all these watermelons? Well, when you live on the 11th story and you have a bunch of watermelons, there's really only one thing to do. So we went to my window. I was kind of on the corner and uh, the sidewalk was below, like, you know, a hundred plus feet below. And so safety first kids, we sent a spotter down, uh, down to the, the ground to make sure no one was coming out the door. Cause it's like the door to the main sidewalk to campus uh, to make sure it was clear. And then he'd wave up at us and we'd like chuck these watermelons. <laughs> and, That's awesome. And I mean, it, it's far enough that it probably took him like four or five seconds to fall that far. Right. So in that time, I suppose someone could have, you know, come around a corner and, and been absolutely slaughtered by a watermelon from that high up. So anyway, so we sm- so all these watermelons just smashed all over the pavement. And uh, a little while later, the resident director comes up to our floor and, and she's like, so there have been some reports of watermelons falling from a window and we can't really figure out where they're from. And we're like, really? That's weird. We wouldn't do anything like that. <laughs> Meanwhile, there are signs all over the floor about our watermelon and movie night. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, that's weird. So. They, they couldn't actually pin it on us, but I, I'm pretty sure they knew who it was. Who cleaned up the watermelon? Not us. It's so nice. I don't know. So don't my know. freshman year of college, um, I came back from, I don't know, going home one time, and I, I had a, a like this prepackaged pound cake. This is when I was in the dorm with Matt. And I... I had this pound cake and I had it in my fridge and I was waiting for the day to eat it, you know, open it, eat my pound cake. I was really excited about it. I really like pound cake. And I came into my room one night and it was like, a, I was probably Friday night. Everybody was goofing off and running around the dorms and um, whatever. And somebody had opened the pound cake and you could see like the fingerprints where they just grabbed a chunk of it and eaten my pound cake. So the whole thing, oh yeah. So the whole thing was soiled for me. And for some reason, I completely went off the deep end, like completely. And I don't know how I came to the conclusion, but I decided that this guy named Travis had walked into the room, eaten the pound cake because he just wanted to, you know, whatever. So I went down to Travis's room. Travis was in a room at the end of the hall. Like it was a four person room. Uh, I remember, I think Ken was in there. This guy named Ken. And so they had, the beds all on one side of it. Then the other side, they had like, they had like beer can pyramids. They had an aquarium and all this stuff. And I'm like, where's Travis? Like nobody's in there. I'm like, and the door is open and I can't find Travis. And I'm like, I'm so pissed. So I start taking the pound cake cause I got it in my hands and I'm wadding it up in little balls and I'm, I'm throwing it. I'm like knocking beer can pyramids down. I'm smeared on them. Po- I mean, I lost my mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm like putting giant chunks of it in their aquarium. <laughs> I'm spreading on the door. I was so pissed because I was sure that Travis had eaten my pound. I have no idea who ate my pound cake. It was pretty rude, but whatever. A little bit of an overreaction. And so... And I and none of them were in the room, so they didn't see this stuff. And I'm sure they discovered it later. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm so pissed. He, they just, he deserves it. Whatever. So later that night, and I, I'm telling everybody this story, you know, of course I'm justified. And they're probably all thinking, this, what is the matter with you? So um, we were we were sitting in one room in a hall, and we were pen- oh, we were pennying uh, Fred and Rob into the burrow. Classic. Yeah. Classic. So if you don't anybody doesn't know what pennying is in the dorms. The, the, and this might work in a regular door too, but especially the dorms, the, all the, the door jams are all metal. And you can take pennies and slide them in between the door jam and the door until it's, until it's snug. And if you do that, the door has enough tension that you can't open the door. Like the door will not open from the inside. So we were pennying them into the burrow. And that there were probably 10 of us in the, in the room across the hall, you know, having a, thought we were great, having fun and whatever. And, Travis comes in. He's like, what is going on? And I'm like, you ate my pound cake. <laughs> and Travis isn't a big guy, but he's like a country guy, right? So I'm like little suburban skinny guy. And he's like, grew up on a farm guy, right? Um, so that's bad for me right off the bat. And 
He's like, I did not eat your pound cake. I'm like, yeah, you did, man. I know I asked four people, blah, 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 whatever it is. You don't, don't ever do that again. You deserve blah, blah, blah. And so I, I turn away to sit down and his fist hits me in the side of the head. And like everything spins. I, I, I'd never, I don't ever remember getting hit before that. Everything starts spinning and I didn't fall over, but I kind of stumbled. I sat back up and nobody's, nobody's just like, yeah, you're a moron. <laughs> like they all just sat there and nobody was getting in the middle of it because I was a complete jackass. Um, and that was the end of it. So I, I deserved every bit of that punch. And I still have no idea what my pound cake. Wow. Yeah. You know, speaking of stupid stunts in, I don't know if you were there. There was, I think our senior year, we went to UMSL for a speech and debate tournament. It might've been like the state or a regional one or something like that. I know Aaron was there because he was part of this with me and you were probably there, but we broke into that building. There's a building in the middle of UMSL's campus. That's like 15 stories tall. Uh, it's like an okay. office building. Or yeah, something no, like that. yeah. So we broke into it and uh, we managed to find an open door or something like that. And we managed to go up the stairs and got to the roof of this building. This isn't ringing a bell for you? No. Okay. I know Aaron was there with me. Okay. So, so we get to the roof of this building. Oh, Mike Etheridge. I think Mike was there too. Oh, there's a story. So, so we're on the roof of this building. It's winter time. It's like, it's like December or January or something like that. So it's cold. And there's like all this, these sheets of ice on the top of the building where the water had kind of collected on the flat roof and then it frozen. And, you know, being the intelligent 18 year old people are like, you know, it'd be really cool is if we threw these ice sheets off the roof of this building. And unlike the safety that I uh, admonished about before, we did not have a spotter down below. We just, <laughs> we were standing on this 15 story or whatever building and we're chucking sheets of ice. And these things were like, I mean, they're three, four feet across sheets yeah. of ice, giant sheets of ice, throwing them off. And it was really cool how, you know, they'd, they'd fall down in the air and they'd like flip around slowly and then they'd crash and they'd shatter on the ground. And I'm pretty sure we would have killed someone yeah. if they had walked under there. So it was awesome. Um, but looking back, I'm like, man, what do people think when they do stuff like that? Yeah. I have no idea, guys. Stupid kids, man. <laughs> well, that, I mean, the dumbest thing that ever was happened was getting in a car with Aaron at any point of your life. If you valued life as a, as it mm -hmm. existed. How many cars did he wreck? Five. He had five cars in high school. His wow. parents kept buying him cars. That's the problem. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> they certainly weren't discouraging the activity. I remember the story. He had one of our friends, Suzanne, in the car and on uh, McClay Road, which is a, a hilly up and down road and a two lane road. He would. One time he accelerated to whatever it took because it was a 35 mile hour speed to pass to a car airborne. going go, to go airborne and pass a car over a hill. Like like just to scare her. And he could have killed any number of people by doing that. Betch and I went to Rawl at one time. We were both home for, I don't know, Christmas or spring break or something like that. And, and he drove back to Rolla, which was normally about an hour, 45 minute drive. And he said, I want to see if we can do it in an hour flat. And you can go down like Interstate 44, or you can go these crazy back roads along, yeah. I think it's 94 through like Harriman. No, it's, and it's, all this uh, stuff. it's 100, 109. Okay, whatever it is. Yeah. So we took the back roads because he didn't, you know, there's less fuzz out there. And holy cow, he was moving. I don't remember. We'd have to ask him. I don't remember if we made it in an hour or not, but we made impressive time. And we were probably doing 100 mile an hour stretches on this oh. two lane highways, passing cars and all this stuff, having a great time. So stupid. Along, along that highway, there is, because it's the best way to get to 44 um, to go to like Springfield. It saves you probably 45 oh. minutes. Okay. Um, so along that road there is a store that sells it, the sign says so-and-so's car sales and meat <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can buy a used car or meat <laughs> i don't know what kind of meat but it's there so the uh, driving so one time i was uh i don't know how old i was but jacob my little brother was playing high school football he's playing jv football and I wanted to get home and see a game back in St. Charles, about a three and a half hour drive. And I was running late and I was by, I borrowed my friend Ted's car. Cause at the time, I guess I didn't have a car. My car was not working or something. 
So I was traveling on Highway 63, which also went through Rolla. Um, I was, it was a two-lane highway, and I was probably doing 100 and passing people on that road mm-hmm. and doing it way too aggressively where there was at least one time where I had to pull over on the opposite shoulder to avoid a head-on collision. Dang. Yeah, it was really stupid. And at some point of that trip, a guy actually like got me to pull over. Like, I don't know if he swung in front of me and put the brakes on and pulled over and maybe get over. And he comes up and he's like, I was at a head-on collision on this highway three months ago. And it's dangerous. And he was lying, but he was just yelling at me because I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't remember doing a lot of stupid things in the car, but that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever done. I, I'm not a very mm-hmm. adventurous guy when it comes to that. But, you know, stupid kids, man. Yeah. I guess that kind of explains those kids all partying down in uh, Miami, wherever they were. Just saying, whatever. Yeah, Yeah. we don't care. We might get it. That's fine. We got a party. We've been planning this for months. (laughs) All right. Let's wrap. Let's do that. Tell me about your tree first. Tell me more. What did you say about that today? So you had a, tell me about your tree and then we'll wrap. So, yeah, so we had a windstorm last weekend, so a week ago, and it blew down trees all over the place. So dozens of trees in the forest around us, a couple in our yard, but there was this one tree, it's a large tree, probably, I guess it's 80 to 100 feet tall, and it's leaning at probably a 15, 20 degree cant over our driveway. And so, um, and, and the base of it had sort of cracked, it had split. And I don't know how I was still standing, but I thought, well, heck, I can cut this thing down. It can't be that hard. And I saw this guy, Travis, who's an arborist and a professional. He came out a few months ago and cut down a number of our trees because uh, they were leaning or compromised or threatening to hit the house. And I'm sure they would have in this last storm if he hadn't cut them down. And it's impressive to watch these arborists work because they wield chainsaws like butter knives. I mean, they're just like swinging these things. They're one hand in them as they slice off branches. He climbs, you know, 60 feet up into a tree to lop off the top. I mean, it's pretty cool to watch. And so, uh, so I'm like, if you can do that, it can't be that hard. It's just chainsaw, you cut through some wood and the tree falls. It's already leaning. How hard can it be? <laughs> and so I was fully prepared and I've got safety gear. I've got my chaps and I've got goggles and ear protection and gloves, you know, and my chainsaw. And so I'm like, I'll just go out there. It's leaning. You just cut on that one side and it falls over and you're, you're done. It's easy. And, uh, and I thought, well, before I do that, I should just watch a quick YouTube video and make sure I'm, you know, cutting in the right place or the right way. So I'm watching a YouTube video. And then I watched another one and then I watched another one. And every one of them is like, so leaning trees are the most dangerous trees to even approach. Like don't breathe on them wrong. These are the trees that kill people because they're under a great deal of tension and pressure and stuff. And so if you cut it and something snaps, I mean, those things, you know, an 80 foot tall tree that weighs a thousand pounds can come flying in a number of directions. Wood can splinter off and fly out like bullets. I mean, it's impressive. And so everyone who's on YouTube talking about cutting leaning trees is like, do not do this. You're an idiot because they're so dangerous. And I thought, well, I told Dirk and Derek that I was going to go do that. And then I kind of joked about if I wasn't around later, I may not be around later. So I called Travis and I said, he lives down the road. He's like a mile from me. And, he's, and I said, would you, would you mind just coming up here for like 10 minutes and, and just help me cut this thing down? Because for you, it's, it's probably no, a no brainer. But for me, I, I don't really want to die today. But I also don't want to have a tree leaning over my driveway that's going to fall on our car at some point when we're driving underneath it. So he was a good guy. He came over and he looked at it, kind of looked at, you know, gauged it a little bit, pulled out his saw, zzz, done. And he done ex- <laughs> exactly what I would have done. Um, and it fell. Everything was fine. And he's looking around. He's like, we should cut down that one over there for fun too. And uh, there was another tree that was also leaning. It wasn't over the dry. It was like just kind of a leaner in the forest. But it's one that in the next windstorm will probably go over, yeah. you know, and he's like, let's just take care of that one too. I'm like, okay. So he slices it up. I mean, five minutes. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I guess when you're really good at anything, other people who are not good at it can be impressed by it. But I was impressed. He was made a couple of cuts. This gigantic, I mean, this was probably a hundred plus feet tall, huge pine tree comes crashing down into our forest. He's like, okay, see ya. And he gets in his truck and drives off. So it's probably about $500 of labor you just got for free. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were cutting down trees here. He was charging us four to 500 bucks a tree to do this. Um, So I really appreciate it. I mean, we paid him plenty of money, um, but it was still a really nice favor that he did. And it just made me feel like 
yeah, probably better that I don't go out Good there call. and lumberjack myself. So, so is it just laying there now and you're going to slowly chop it up for firewood or do you have a fireplace? I, yeah, I chopped it up after he left. So that's called bucking kids. So the, the proper oh. lumberjack term is bucking. So I bucked the wood into rounds is what they're called. And then rounds yeah. can be split into firewood. So I've got all the rounds laying out there now and we're going to donate them to people who need firewood. Oh, cool. Do you have a fireplace? Nope. So we have so much wood. I mean, I've bucked probably six or eight trees now. We have so much wood that we can't use. So we're saving a little bit of it for like a campfire in the summer. But geez louise, we could do campfires for the next 20 years just on the stuff that fell in our yard. Yeah. Um, so we're going to donate all that and, and save a little bit for a few, you know, s'mores parties or right. something. Cool. Yep. All right, sir. Well, we can wrap up and we'll come back in a week. Maybe we'll come. I don't know if we'll uh, hit back up before I leave or after I get home. I don't know. Okay. All right. Have a good one. Have a good evening. Good evening.